It's one thing to answer some emails from home, coordinate your students' study assignments online, and occasionally connect to the UCI network via VPN when your child is homesick. It's another thing completely to do every single meeting on Zoom, teach a whole class from your living room, and try to use the VPN at the same time as all of your colleagues. As UCI begins to re-engage operations, we'll have to develop a new normal around the technology we use and the way we use it. Welcome to the Anteater Insider, where you can get the inside scoop on all things UCI. I'm Aaron Orlowski, and today we're speaking with Tom Andriola, who's the Vice Chancellor of Information Technology and Data at UCI. He's also the Chief Information Officer for UC Health, which covers the six University of California health systems. Tom, thank you for joining me today on the Anteater Insider. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to be here. So all of us have experienced the move to remote operations at a really granular level. We've been figuring out Zoom meetings and dealing with VPN issues and getting the right computer hardware. But you were able to see all of that from this 10,000 foot level. What was your experience dealing with these challenges for basically a small city? Yeah, so looking back, you know, it happened really fast. You know, we, we just kind of came together as a community and tried to, you know, kind of figure things out. I described it at one time, it was almost like a wartime mentality or a crisis mentality where we had meetings every day trying to be very action-oriented, focus on the best decision that we could make based on the information that was available. It was changing so fast that all you could do was kind of focus on what you knew right now and make the decision. And you think about how fast we move uh, you know, people off of campus and employees to work from home. Uh, it, it really was a very, very kind of rapid action planning uh, and execution. And I mean, so what were some of the things that you had to do to make sure that, for instance, professors could keep on teaching and, and that classes could actually continue? Yeah. So uh, you, you think about it, uh, you know, they're used to a certain schedule, uh, you know, of coming into a room, having students sit in front of them, teaching off of, you know, curriculums that they have developed. In many cases, they've been using the same formula for, for many years, right? So how do you all of a sudden flip that? And, you know, it, you, you don't flip the pedagogy overnight. I mean, what we initially had to take the step was, was try to, through remote instruction and giving them technology tools like Zoom uh, and like Uja to do lecture capture is just do it the way you've been doing it, but we're going to broadcast it rather than sit in a room and, and, and do classic lecture. We're going to record it so we can post it so that students who could not, for whatever reason, maybe attend at the normal slot, they're able to watch it in arrears and be able to, again, learn and, 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 and do things as close to normal as possible, because that's all we really had the time to do. And we just did that in mass. Students went home, faculty went to their homes, and we just used technology they connected to and made it through uh, you know, the end of the winter quarter. And then really tried to then reinforce some things and, and get a little bit more organized. And that's how we've been conducting the spring. So moving all of these things off campus, were there security risks? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, you know, first of all, there was a lot of technology infrastructure in place, but we were only leveraging a small fraction of it. We had a lot of infrastructure and tools that were there, but a lot of faculty weren't using them. And then all of a sudden, one day they were. And so we took everybody virtual. And what happened was, was the thing we were most concerned about was not that we didn't have the tools, but that we had this extreme stress test of flipping it to massive numbers, and we didn't quite know how well things were going to scale. 
you know, let me give you a couple of numbers just to kind of put some context to this. So Zoom, we had 150 Zoom users in the month of February, okay? In the first week of April, we had 7,000 active users of Zoom. We had 900 Zoom meetings in the month of February, the entire month. We had 14,000 Zoom meetings in the first week of April. And then from a security perspective, you know, when people come to campus, you know, we have created a security blanket of how people can interact and we have certain protections in place. And then when we sent everyone away and they had to access things remotely, it's kind of like stretching that security blanket out. It reached in some ways, but all of a sudden people were connecting in in ways that they didn't quite understand. Why am I using the virtual private network or VPN? Do I have to use it for everything? You know, and so if you look at some of the high profile um, organizations that have been kind of compromised out there in our society, a lot of it has to do with the, the hackers going after the remote access component of enterprises because that security blanket has been stretched. Wow. I mean, that sounds like a kind of a huge responsibility responsibility to make sure that as the the remote capabilities expand and as the remote usage expands, uh, the security keeps up. It, it is. I mean, I think, again, we, we had things in place, but when we, we uh, stretched them out, you know, we had never kind of done things at that scale. I mean, you know, instead of having a couple of hundred users accessing things uh, concurrently remote, we were in the several thousand. Yeah, well, really quick, since we're on the topic, I mean, if if there's one thing that all of us should remember about how to make sure that we're keeping the information secure while we're still working at home, what is it? In some ways, it's it's not any different from when you're working from your office, right? Which is, you know, uh, be conscious of the emails that you're reading and, you know, don't click on anything that you don't recognize. Don't click on links, you know, think before you click. Because again, th- those are the, uh, you know, are the easiest ways to create a, a, you know, a, co- a potential compromise. Yeah. Uh, you know, the second thing is, you know, when you have, you know, understand what the virtual private network is, which is essentially a secure place to, to come into the UCI network, utilize it. You know, those, I think those two things, much like hand washing and wearing face protection, you know, in, in, you know, in our, in our virus world, you know, those two things can go a long way. Well, let's talk a bit about the health side here, since um, that's obviously a huge component of UCI's entire enterprise. Um, you know, back in the spring, they were preparing for this potential surge of cases, and thankfully, that didn't materialize in in such a severe way. But what were some of the preparations that you were making on the technology side uh, to to prepare and to provide care in that kind of situation? Yeah, so uh, you know, there's this concept of a lot of people know it is telehealth. Um, you know, I, I tend to call it virtual visits, right? So it's where the doctor and the patient aren't necessarily in the same room, and and, and health systems, different health systems have deployed it to different levels. Here at Irvine, we hadn't done very much with it up until this point, and we had a plan on the books where we were going to launch virtual visits with the help of Zoom in the August timeframe. Well, we pulled that plan all the way into April 1st, mm. and we went from an environment where you know we were averaging roughly 15 to 20 virtual visits, mostly all by phone per week, to right now we're doing over 800 per day. 
And, you know, that's the ability for a patient to talk to someone over the phone, to open, uh, you know, up a Zoom session with them. All of the information that's captured is integrated back into the patient's health record. So it just goes to show you, you know, going from 15 a week to 800 a day is incredible scaling. Again, we had the infrastructure for it, but we had to really enable it to be done at scale. We had to get uh, the clinicians comfortable with it and also, you know, patients comfortable with it. And I think now what you're going to see is that this capability is going to be a way that we deliver healthcare to our patients. It doesn't mean that, you know, doctors won't see patients. It just means that they'll have more options looking at the, you know, the urgency, the criticality and determining if they can do something, let's say, you know, over the phone, you know, with the patient rather than having the patient schedule a visit and being seen three or four days later. You know, if you talk to the health system today, they are ready for the surge, you know, if and when it comes. We have this kind of configurable space to be able to go to 2X or 3S, the number of, of um, quarantine beds, if we have that type of surge in Orange County. That's so important to remember in all of our conversations is that Orange County was mostly spared a, a severe surge this time around, but there's all likelihood and every possibility that we could see um, a second wave. And, you know, it's so great to hear the, about the the telehealth capabilities. I, I'm guessing that that really allowed physicians to continue to deliver some of the routine care or the sort of non-COVID, non-emergency care um, that patients have really needed in this time. You know, these technology infrastructures allowed us to keep doing things. Without virtual visits in the hospital, you know, we wouldn't have seen any patients, but instead we still have over 800, you know, sessions where doctors and patients interact and patients continue to get their care where we wouldn't have seen any of those 800. Well, and now uh, here uh, on campus or on the campus side of things, uh, we're getting ready to, to re-engage and, and move more operations uh, back to campus. So what's involved in that process yeah, you know, we're finding it's really complicated. There are just, you know, uh, you know, an incredible number of details to work out and what if questions to ask as we lay out plans. Uh, we've also realized that, you know, that complexity of, you know, a small number of things that we control and a large number of things that we don't control can get us into analysis paralysis. And so, you know, we, we are definitely taking the approach of, you know, you know crawl, walk, run as we introduce things back to more normal operations. Yeah. Well, every crisis, you know, as, as we know, um, also brings some opportunities. Um, and obviously this crisis has, has negatively in, impacted a lot of things, but we've also made some changes to how we conduct our work lives. And, and some of those are probably positive. So when you look at the crisis and as we develop this new normal, um, what do you see? How do you think we use technology uh, in a new normal in a in a better way? You know, in the uh, a lot of people, if they don't know my background, don't know this, but I actually lived in China as as part of my professional career, and so the Chinese actually have two characters for the word crisis. Uh, the first character stands for danger. The second character stands for opportunity. And so it kind of speaks to your point, right? Which is in any crisis, you know, beware of the danger, but recognize the opportunity. It's actually a famous uh, John F. Kennedy quote. 
And so technology actually represents both. It's not just an opportunity, right? So, so we're using technology to enable kind of the hybrid education of remote and in-person simultaneously. But the danger around technology is in the form of you know, reinforcing economic inequalities and digital divides that, are, that can get exacerbated through technology. So, for example, you know, we, I, I forget the total number, but you know, we leased out, I want to say about 800 laptops when we sent our students home. So any student that identified that, you know, they didn't have a suitable device to, um, you know, to work off of to try to zoom into their classes or to connect to the learning management staff. So we, we, we basically said, take it, go home. You've got a device, but it's not just a device. They need a connection. And so, and this was actually the harder part was getting those kind of Wi-Fi hotspots you know, and send them out with, uh, you know, with people to be able to, again, because maybe they come from a community where they don't have internet at home. We, we bought a lot of, of, of my five spots and, and sent them home with a small percentage of our students. So it's not that the t- technologies do it, it, it it's, it's access to the technologies. Um, reflecting on how the, the pandemic crisis has influenced uh, patient health care delivery, uh, how do you think, what do you think is an opportunity in that space to, you know, sort of take the crisis and transform it into a, an opportunity for using technology to improve patient care? Yeah, I, I, I have kind of captured it in four words, right? We, uh, I call it respond, recover, reinforce, and reimagine, right? So respond is what we did when we, you know, realized that this was going to be a serious pandemic and we wanted to secure public safety, right? So we responded and, you know, changed, how, you know, uh, you know what, what people were doing, how they interacted with patients. We're now in that recover phase where, you know, we're starting to bring our patients into, it's amazing how many patients basically deferred care uh, unless it was absolutely life-threatening. And then even if we could take them, there were people who weren't comfortable to come into our environment because they didn't know how safe it was, right? So now we're recovering. We're trying to bring everyone back and, and take all the backlog and, and work it down. Reinforcing is some of those scaling challenges, which is we did this quickly and, and we might've been able to sustain this for a month or two months, but we wouldn't be able to sustain this for years unless we kind of reinforce. And then the reimagine is really how could we encapsulate some of what we've put in place as part of standard fare for going forward? And I'll give you a couple of examples. Uh, how we're expanding our ambulatory presence in Orange County is, is something that we're rethinking, we're reimagining how that would work. We're also I'm working with uh, Dr. Daniela Bodo over in the School of Medicine and rethinking our strategy for, for growing our clinical trials that we do at UC Irvine. So all of this kind of, you know, uh, you know, rapid adoption of technology to continue operations has now become a reimagine opportunity. And, you know, as, as IT professionals and wanting to be, you know, really strategic in the way that we think about technology, we want to be at the front of that conversation asking the questions about, okay, we see that we can do this. How can we make this part of, you know, how we're going to grow the health system? Well, that sounds incredibly exciting, and I will definitely be looking forward to to hearing more about what that reimagining process yields. And Tom, thank you for speaking with me today on the Anteater Insider. Absolutely. Thank you for being here, and everyone, be safe out there. Thank you.
The Anteater Insider is a production of UCI's Office of Strategic Communications and Public Affairs.